Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You have downloaded the latest episode of Kicking the Karaoke. We're very glad to have you. Thank you so much for telling us what you thought about the last podcast, which was on non-binary gender identities. We really hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. And we got a little bit of feedback, though. Amy said that Pooj explained how they felt really well and that the podcast actually taught them something, which is totally kick-ass and that's exactly what we want. Also, at Transpride Brighton, someone went up to CJ, told them they listened to the podcast and how great they were and all of the other guests. That's also kick-ass. Having said that, we are aware that the last podcast was kind of long. It was like an hour and a half. And so we were thinking of breaking it down into chapters more. So if you guys could get in contact and let us know what you prefer, that would be super duper awesome. And, you know, we're learning and we're growing from this. We're still little babies when it comes to podcasts. So speaking of growing, we're now on Audio Boom. So what is it? Audio Boom is this kick-ass online listening platform for podcasts it's essentially the netflix of podcasts and it's especially designed for us little podcasts podcastlings little podcastlings little podcast yeah it's really (laughs) awesome to help us grow our listeners you know how many listeners we've had for this little podcast so far like over 750 that's kicking some serious karaoke butt so help us grow you guys share us with your friends on facebook you can find us at kicking the karaoke Tweet about us with our awkward work colleague at Kick Kariaki. Ask us a question at kickingthekariaki at gmail.com. And admire our illustrations at www.kickingthekariaki.org. And just one more thing before we introduce the topic. We've moved away from saying call us out to call us in. Call out culture can be seen to put people down in terms of who knows the most, whereas calling someone in is gentler and more directive, pointing out other places and links to that we can understand further. And it's really important because we want to learn and we want our listeners to learn. So call us in. Topic time. Sex work. And why did we choose this topic? There's been so much in the media recently about the decriminalisation of sex work, and this has mainly come from Amnesty International making it their policy. But it's also known as the oldest trade. It's a taboo and typically misunderstood as well. Which is pretty much exactly why we've been totally drawn to this topic and we were lucky enough to have some of the most kick-ass, amazing sex workers agree to share their thoughts with us. One little note before we begin. Our guests are not people of colour and they do not identify as trans. And we know that disproportionately people of colour and trans people tend to be in the sex work trade. So please do let us know what you think, what your experiences are. You can do it anonymously. We'd love to hear from you. And on that note, here are the guests. Isla, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Isla. I am a sex worker and I'm in my 20s. I'm queer, a woman, identify as femme. I enjoy my work sometimes, I hate it other times. I mostly have experience escorting or in sort of professional subbing and doming and I've recently just started working in a brothel so I have a bit of all-round experience in that field. Could you explain quickly what subbing and doming is? Okay, so you are getting paid either to dominate a client, which could include just sort of mental domination, financial domination, where you tell them how to spend their money or keep their money away from them, or doming in the most sort of uh, well-known sense of involving corporal punishment, rock and ball torture, things like that. And then professional submissive work is kind of 
the opposite to professional dominatrix in certain respects in the sense that you're receiving well I normally get spanked or different implements such as canes or floggers or hand spanking I'm also a full service escort and professional submissive so I also receive or provide personal services including full sex or blowjobs handjobs etc so there's a whole range of things that go into that so just to clarify sex work is selling sex for money Well, I would say it's a lot wider than just that. Sex work to me is exchanging erotic or sexual services in exchange for money or other sort of forms of remuneration like gifts. They can include things like, you know, erotic performers like porn performers, webcammers, people doing erotic massage, stripping or erotic dancing. It's a really quite wide range of things. I would consider someone who sells their use knickers online to be someone who's involved in the sex industry just as much as someone else but there's different levels of privileges and stigma that go along with those different types of work. It's really refreshing to hear you talk about it so openly because I've never heard anybody talk about I guess the kind of well I've never heard anybody talk about sexual services that they offer full stop to be fair. How does it feel talking about it so openly knowing that well there's stigma isn't there? You know, I'm here under my work name, my real personality and individual sort of identity is very separate in certain respects. And that is down to the fact that I'm not safe to come out. If I was honest with family or other work colleagues about what I do, I know that it would make my life incredibly difficult and could potentially make it quite dangerous. There are a lot of people out there who have extremely dehumanising and really stigmatising views of sex workers. And a lot of that has to do with the way in which we're criminalised. A lot of it has to do with patriarchy. A lot of it has to do with certain strands of radical feminism dictating how they're supposed to behave and interact in society. And a lot of the time it's down to the fact that there is a lot of sort of secrecy and stereotypes that are assumed to be around sex work but I think there is a lot of overlap within the LGBTQ community in the feminist community um, in a lot of sort of homelessness and drug using communities we all are interlinked in a lot of ways but sadly because of the type of politics there are around sort of respectability in these different movements we don't often talk about those intersections we don't talk about the fact that a disproportionately high number of trans people of colour are sex workers we don't talk about the fact that a lot of people particularly LGBTQ people living on the street use survival sex work as a means to survive. We don't talk about the fact that a lot of women are engaged in the sex industry not because of some enjoyment of the job but because working class women and the cuts austerity have caused people to go into this form of labour because the informal economy provides them more money than benefits and working tax credits are ever going to give them. There's so many intersections and we're not talking about it when we should be because if you're an ally or you care about human rights you care about health, you care about economic poverty and anti-racism etc if you care about LGBTQ rights all of those things you should be an ally to sex workers because we inevitably are a part of your communities and our rights are just as instrumental as to yours. So how did you get into sex work? I was quite young I was 16 and I had developed addiction to heroin and crystal meth and for me in order to carry on my life and financing that habit sex work seemed like a, an obvious way in which to do it and also it allowed me to hide it from my family because any other form of work they would expect to know where that money was going and what I was doing with it whereas this allowed me to provide for myself in quite a secret fashion so I started dancing in a club and then I ended up going home with some clients and I hadn't been sort of working in the industry for quite a few years until recently because it's very very difficult to live in London without you know accruing at least some debt or having a very well-paid job and so it's something that I do to supplement my income. So at the moment it's not I wanted to say fueling that doesn't feel like the right word it's not in order to be able to afford taking crystal meth Is that a rude question for me to ask? Like, Um, is it inappropriate to ask me what you spend your money on? I guess it is. I don't do drugs anymore, but even if I did, I think that there needs to be like a breaking down of that idea that there are lots of sex workers who use drugs. There are a lot of people that do sex works who don't do drugs. Regardless, a lot of the reasons why you're automatically asking that question, rightly or wrongly, is because if I wasn't taking drugs, I wouldn't be doing the sex work or that sort of narrative that people tell you that automatically people only do that if they're really desperate for money and while I guess I could say that kind of fits into the narrative of my life um, I know a lot of other people who do drugs and it isn't 
something that's it's not a bad thing in their life. They feel that it's something recreational, it's something that increases their mental health. And I don't think that they should be dehumanised for doing that. Yeah, and thank you so much for calling me out on that. I guess the important thing is it's not why is someone getting into sex work, it's like what is their experience of sex work and how can we make them safer and give them more autonomy and agency within sex work. I think what's interesting about the sex worker discussion is that it's one of those age-old professions that we've always done as humans, there's always been sex workers. And still to this day in the 21st century, we still don't get it, we still don't talk about it. Humans enjoy sex, we engage in sex. So why are we still having this difficult discussion of it's degrading, it's this, it's that? For me, it's not like I fulfil like a happy hooker stereotype. I don't really like my job, but I would say that the next time, you know, someone tells me that my job is inherently wrong or inherently exploitative, I would say, is it any more inherently exploitative as any other form of work? There are millions of people around the world that hate their jobs, that have terrible working conditions, but we don't automatically condemn the entire industry in which they work to be null and void and must not exist. We strive to improve their working conditions, to give them more labour rights, to make it so that they can have the most agency and self-determination within that situation. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with sex work, I just think that the way in which sex work operates in a host of other host of countries is an exploitative because we don't have labour rights, we don't have the ability to unionise, we don't have the ability to go to the authorities or the police in the cases where we do ex- experience exploitative management or uh, violence from clients. None of those those options are available and that's what makes the industry exploitative. It's not actually about whether there's something inherently wrong with giving me a spank on the bum. I can choose for myself whether that's exploitative or not, but I can't choose to go to the police if the client refuses to stop when I say no. And that's not because sex work is inherently bad, that's because I don't have the option under the current legal system. Right, so why is that? Why can't sex workers go to the police? What's the legal system like for sex workers? So at the moment we live in a kind of partial criminalisation system in the UK because while the selling and purchase of sexual services isn't actually illegal, all the sort of third parties involved, including brothel keeping, soliciting, all of these type of things, are criminalised. And in particular, the brothel laws in this country are extremely problematic. More than one sex worker working together is considered a brothel in this country. So the whole idea that these are meant to make us safer is preposterous, considering that it means that sex workers have to work alone or they're committing an offence. Which top makes of- you more insane. Yeah. Another sex worker that I know recently spoke to a TEDx talk, Tony Mack, incredible sex worker activist, and in her speech she talked about the fact that one of her friends was once working with her and the client turned nasty and basically said, you can't go to the police because you two are working together, therefore it's illegal. Which basically empowered him to say, I can get away with whatever I want because you two are already committing an offence. That's horrendous, but that is the reality for many sex workers. We're forced into isolation we're forced to either be unsafe or to break the law. The whole idea that criminalisation at all deters people from sex work or from buying uh, sexual services is redundant. We've seen it in the Swedish model. The number of people selling sex doesn't go down. It's just the human rights violations increase. So just quickly, what's the Swedish model? So that's basically the sort of end-demand approach in which you don't criminalise sex workers themselves, but you criminalise the punters, the clients who are uh, purchasing sex. People say that that should not criminalise the actual uh, sex workers and that that should reduce the demand, let's say, for sex workers' services. But this isn't the case. They're less likely to tell you their name. They're less likely to fulfil your verification checks. They're less likely to be willing to do things in a safe, open environment because they're scared of being caught by the police. What kinds of verification checks are you talking about? So if I get a request from a client for a booking, then the first thing I will do is see what they are interested in doing with the time, seeing whether they are comfortable with the rates that I charge, and then I'll kind of talk to them about verification. So if it's an out call, where I would go to their apartment, house or hotel room. I would ask to get their full name, their mobile number, and I would want to know if they had a booking confirmation for the hotel room. I would make sure that I could call through to the room to know that they've got the room and they're in the room. It's about having their details so that in the case of a problem, I have the complete ability to say this is the person who did this. So what kind of system would you like to see? Well, I can say that for me and for most of the sex workers, I think all of the sex workers I know decrease 
decriminalization is the preferred legal route. This is what currently exists in New Zealand and is basically the removal of criminal sanctions and punitive laws which affect the sex industry, which would mean you decriminalize the selling and purchase of sex, you decriminalize brothel keeping or any of those laws around solicitation. A lot of people would ask, why don't you want to legalize it? The question around legalization is that quite often this is used in order to create sort of zoned areas such as in Nevada or in Germany. We have that sort of quasi system where it's legalized in a particular area and everybody outside of it is still a criminal. So people that have a lot of money to be able to afford to create a brothel, have the ability to get a license, have the ability to get health checks regularly etc. These people will be able to legally work but everyone else will be forced into a situation where they can't continue working and they're once again criminalised. And I personally think that that disproportionately affects poorer people, people who are actually most in need of not being criminalised under the system because when they receive a criminal record then they are in the cycle where they're never going to be able to leave the sex industry even if they wanted to because a criminal record would stay with you for the rest of your life. You mentioned rates. Is it okay to ask how, what... Or my rates? Yeah. I don't really feel comfortable talking about that. In most of the sex worker organisations and spaces that I operate in, we don't talk about money and rates unless you have sort of a content note or a kind of explicit warning that we're going to be talking about that because we have to be honest there is a hell of a lot of privilege within the sex worker community there are people that are porn performers there are people that are stripping there are people doing all types of work and there are people doing survival sex work where the amount of money that they are receiving is not necessarily as much as another worker would be receiving and I don't want to play into that this is how much I charge and therefore I wouldn't do it for less than this blah 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 I just don't that's not what I'm about. Thank you because that's good I think for people to hear. I also think it's what does it matter? At the end of the day different things I do, different sexual services are different rates depending on how much labour is involved in them but what I think is a sufficient fee will be different to what other people think is a sufficient fee and if I'm completely honest there's also a lot of normative beauty standards that come into what rates are and I think it's wrong that someone who has a lot of privilege like myself who is white who is able-bodied who by a lot of accounts is normatively attractive is going to be able to charge more than other types of workers and I think that's bullshit but I think that's the sad nature of capitalism and patriarchy. Good point. I never even thought about normative beauty standards and you're spot on. I wanted to ask you a question because you mentioned that sometimes work isn't always enthusiastic and there's this real idea about consent and one of the key tenets of it is that consent should always be enthusiastic which sounds like a really good point until it comes to sex work because not everybody is always very enthusiastic about their work I'm enthusiastic about being paid but I'm not enthusiastic about the sex all the time I think it's just complicated it's like informed consent is important knowing what I'm getting involved in knowing that my bills are going to get paid and that I'm going to have the freedom to carry on my life and not feel like I'm experiencing debt, poverty is incredibly important to me. Like for me sometimes it takes me a while to get into it, especially with clients who are very unattractive. If I have to look at them and think "Mm, I'm not really so keen but then when you're in your body and something's being done to you and it feels nice, you know someone eating your pussy or something like that, I can kind of go into my own head and feel nice about that because it feels nice regardless of who it is sometimes my body is better at receptive sexuality rather than being the one starting things and so like I can start to feel sexual pleasure from something rather than having that big desire to start it if that makes sense so I think consent kind of plays into that a little bit because I can really enjoy something halfway through but I've not wanted to do it like five minutes earlier so there are days where or there are times where you're not so enthusiastic about it why sex work then why not another profession or something else I've done a lot of jobs and none of them have paid so well none of them have given me such freedom with my hours none of them have brought me together with such an amazing community of other colleagues none of them have given me such insight into myself and to what makes me me. At the same time, there's never been an industry where I have been so tired and had to think about my body in such a sort of normative fashion. As a person who identifies as queer, only when I'm working do I think of myself in terms of how men see me. And that's a very strange feeling. So are your clients only men? I've never really had women clients or people who are gender non-normative. 
at all. Is that because there aren't they aren't there? They aren't asking for it. Or? They're not asking me. I have lots of friends. <laughs> I have lots of friends who have female or trans clients or people who are gender variant in some respect. That isn't a non thing. It's just that none of them seem to book me. Sadly, yeah. If I can have any tips for that, that'd be <laughs> <laughs> what's it like being queer and being a sex worker that services mainly one kind of client? I guess. Yeah, it's strange. It's like being straight for pay. I've learned for me that the best way that I can fight the patriarchy is making them pay for every ounce of my time with them. And I think that there's something incredibly revolutionary about saying that every part of the labour, from emotional labour that I give a client about talking about their life, about talking over the phone with them, about what the booking's going to be and what services I'm going to provide, all of those things you break down into this transactional way where you're recognising and invisibilizing all this emotional labour that women do for men every day and I'm actually putting a price on it and that's actually very revolutionary to me I've learned to really value my time in a way that I never did before and to recognise emotional labour as something and sexual labour and reproductive labour as something incredibly important in our society that is completely invisibilized most of the time So how much of it is men I guess actually wanting sex and how much of it is maybe seeking some emotional support yeah companionship for me like it's a bit both I don't think that all my clients want me as like a companion most of the men I find are wanting that physical experience they're not looking so much for the emotional side of things but I know other colleagues have regulars who they have more of an intimate relationship with that is a lot of emotional labour which I'm not so great at I find it very difficult to give emotional labour to cis men so I prefer it being more of the physical side you and me both sister I find that more difficult if you ask me what I'd prefer to do of an hour booking I would much rather be spanked be receiving water sports or having full service sucking them off for like 45 minutes I'd rather do all of that than have to listen to how they've got such a terrible life and how they want you know some validation for how good a person they are (laughs) I I really really struggle with that I wanted to ask you about the community you mentioned that you found during sex work yeah the sex worker open university it's a project that's been created for and by sex workers it's all about community building skill sharing creating a space in which sex workers can come together and find some of community but also campaign against criminalization and we do that those sort of workshops involving skill shares like marketing how to do your taxes how to be a better dominant and so it's professional development really and then we also have support systems where it's sort of safe sex worker only spaces for people to talk about what they're experiencing whether that be stigma whether that be violence whether that be just economic insecurity and then also the sex work activism where we're talking most recently about the Home Affairs Committee have just given back their report about what their recommendations are for how to legislate around sex work in this country. It's been very promising in that they talked about reducing or removing the criminal provisions relating to brothel keeping and that's something that we've been campaigning for for a really long time. And You mentioned about how is it sex work oh, and LGBT trans people and people of colour kind of disproportionately is it get involved in sex work and I know that you're not a person of colour and you can't speak on behalf of any of them but we're quite aware that we don't really have any people of colour or trans sex workers on here so I was wondering if you could maybe kind of give a quick summary of things that they face and why trans people and people of colour tend to get into sex work. As a member of the LGBTQ community I think I can speak a little bit more accurately about why queer trans people get involved with the sex industry sort of less so than why people of colour do and I think for the LGBTQ community a lot of that is about the propensity to become homeless, the propensity to be estranged from family members, to experience domestic violence or abuse and feel like the only option is to either live in an insecure situation or on the streets and so becoming involved in informal economies such as sex industry is like one way of guaranteeing your survival and guaranteeing that you're going to be able to put food on the table and pay your bills etc. But in general I think queer and trans people we're used to experiencing state violence we're used to being considered sexually deviant, we're used Mm. to being shamed for our sexual behaviours. And how can we be an ally to sex workers? Okay so one thing you can definitely do 
is to campaign against the criminalisation of sex work in this country and wherever you may be. If that involves emailing your MP, sending a letter or submitting to your council or, or wherever, lobbying your political representatives to say this form of uh, legislation does not increase the human rights of sex workers and that sex workers are calling for people to get on board and decriminalise the industry, that is the number one way that you can help. On top of that, there's also just breaking down stigma. If you know someone is a sex worker or if you have any ideas of what a sex worker is in your mind, try and break down what your original thoughts might be. Is your original thought when you think of someone being a sex worker that they're slutty or that they have no self-respect or that they're obviously on drugs or that there's no way that they could have any agency in that situation, that they're exploited and they need rescued. And then also just donate to sex worker organisations. I think it's amazing the kind of work that SWU and the English Collective for Prostitutes and other sex worker organisations have done, but they've been doing it on a shoestring and we're incredibly underfunded by grants or the NHS because no one wants to touch sex workers' rights with a barge pole unless they're doing it from the perspective of people exiting the industry. So if you want to be a real ally, I think that means putting your money where your mouth is a lot of the time. ECP is English Collective of Prostitutes and SWU is Sex Workers Open University. And NUM is, or Ugly Mugs is the National Ugly Mugs. So basically if I or another sex worker experienced a, a bad booking or a dangerous client, we could talk to NUM and they would report it to the police and that would keep our identity safe. Thank you so much, Isla, for coming on. Thank you for providing a space. So that was Isla. She kicked some serious ass. I really, really liked her points, especially when she refused to tell us how much she charged. I thought that was a really good point. Yeah, she did some serious calling in right there. Yeah, she did. In style. And on to our next guest, Laura Lee. Laura, please introduce yourself. My name is Laura. I am originally from Dublin, but now based in Scotland. And I am a sex worker, stroke dominatrix, and passionate advocate for sex workers' rights. How did you get into sex work? Well, I got into sex work in in a very non-orthodox fashion to begin with, in that I was going through university the first time around, and I didn't want to leave riddled with death. So I made the decision to become the Saturday girl at the local massage parlour, rather than working three, four nights a week in a pub or a restaurant or whatnot. It was a decision I went into with my eyes open, very much an informed decision, and not one I regret, actually. It suited my needs at the time. So was the was it an, actually a massage parlour, or was it...? No, it was it, what, what we called a massage parlour at the time. It was basically a massage parlour which offered extras, so it was a brothel. Oh, interesting, OK. How would you describe sex work? Well, sex work is, in, in literal terms, it's the exchange of sexual services for money, but actually it goes a lot deeper than that. I would say the physical part of my job it's about 20% of what I do. Apart from that, it's a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy, a lot of listening. Are the majority of your clients men? Yes, I do have some women, but the majority would be men and some couples as well. So you mentioned that you're a dominatrix. What does mm. that mean? So that would be more towards the sadomasochism side of things. I specialise in hardcore domination, which is, uh, well, exactly what it says in the tin, really. So I tend to, to do a lot of quipping, spanking, bondage, that sort of thing. I was going to ask if you could describe a little bit about what the situation is for sex workers in in Ireland at the moment. Okay, so the situation at the moment is that it is perfectly legal to work and sell south of the border in the Republic of Ireland as it stands at the moment. It's also legal to buy. It is illegal since the 1st of June 2015 in the north of Ireland to buy. However, I'm challenging that through the courts at the moment. It's illegal to advertise in the Republic of Ireland and a lot of the associated activities are around prostitution or sex work are illegal as well so that's things like soliciting, curb crawling, brothel keeping and if I may expand on that a wee bit, when we think of brothel keeping we think of a pimp with a long sheepskin coat and trilby hat. Actually a lot of the brothel keeping convictions that are secured now in the Republic of Ireland and in the North of Ireland are against sex workers who are working together for safety. So, for example, if I work on my own in an apartment and I see a client there, it's perfectly legal. However, if I have another woman, or or man for that matter, working with me for safety, we can potentially be arrested from, in inverted commas, pimping from each other. And so we have a criminal record for life. It compels us to work alone and it puts us in danger on a daily basis. And unfortunately, would-be attackers know that. They know mm. that we're vulnerable that we're very possibly carrying cash and that, particularly in Ireland, we're highly unlikely to go forward and report anything to the police. 
And you're fighting against the criminalisation in Ireland. Yes, I am. I'm fighting for decriminalisation, which is the removal of all punitive sanctions around sex work, which would allow us to work together in safety. And decriminalisation is different to legalisation? Yes, it is. Legalisation comes with its own problems, so that we see in Germany, you have sex workers forced into compulsory registration over there, which potentially outs them to their family and friends. They're also subjected to mandatory STI testing and mandatory psychological counselling as well, which is not what I'm campaigning for at all. I'm campaigning for women working together on a very small scale. So why are you so passionate about it? Have you ever had any negative experiences that have made you so passionate about the rights of sex workers? I have. I would call on one that was more recent, which was the absolutely hideous murder of Jessica McGrath in Aberdeen. She was an escort who was working on her own and she ran into trouble with a client one evening and she knew that something was going to be bad, but she managed to get a message to her friends. But it was too late. By the time her friends got there, she was dead. And she suffered a death that no other living, breathing creature should ever have to endure. It raises the question, if she had been in that apartment with two other sex workers, then the outcome could have been very very, very different. Are attacks on sex workers common? They are less common than you would think, but the fact remains that 144 sex workers have been murdered in the UK since 1990, which is a tremendous amount. And what I always say, and I believe it's very true, is in any job where you're working with the general public, I mean, you would never, ever ask an accident and emergency nurse to work a Friday night on her own with members of the general public. So I really, really don't see why we are compelled to, because we're in the same line of fire. We have people coming in potentially in all different levels of intoxication or mental health issues or, you know, you could be faced with anything when you're dealing with the public. So I believe that the number of attacks on sex workers is because people know, as I said before, that we are vulnerable. So what kind of safety precautions do you take? There are several. We have some websites whereby the clients can book us online. And so we have a screening process that way. So it's a bit like eBay where you have feedback for both buyer and seller. Crucially, we also have National Ugly Mug, which is a service that sex workers can subscribe to for free and issues out centralised warnings. So, for example, I'm Glasgow-based and if I was doing Glasgow outcalls tonight, I might get a warning through to say there's been an attack in Glasgow city centre. This is the description of the guy. This is the number he's using to call from. And this is his modus operandi. Avoid at all costs. There's no doubt in my mind that National Ugly Mugs as a, as a charity and as an institution have saved lives. So what do you say to people who call for the abolition of sex work or say that it's immoral, stuff like that? Morality has no place whatsoever in this debate. That's not what it's about at all. If you, I don't mean you literally, but if people find the exchange of cash for sex morally abhorrent, then that's okay. That's absolutely their right. But this debate is about our safety and it's about our abilities to make our choices to earn our living how we so choose and to do so in in absolute safety and to have the same labour rights as every other occupation in the UK at the moment. So did you get into sex work? Was it to fund your university degree? that's right, yes. And I did that successfully. I'm now back at university doing a second degree. Why sex work then? Is it because it's more lucrative than other jobs? Yes, well, it gives me the flexibility. I'm also a single parent. So it gives me the flexibility to, to work, to study, to campaign, to write and to spend time with my child as well. What's it like being a sex worker and being a parent at the same time? No different to any other job. When I come home in the evening, there's nothing in my house whatsoever to suggest that I'm a sex worker. It's all kept in a massive suitcase in the boot of my car. And it is the most incredibly normal, if you'll forgive the term, household that you'll come across. We don't really discuss my job as such any more than any other woman would discuss sex with her daughter. It just doesn't come up for conversation. She is, of course, aware of my campaigning work and my media work, and she's one of my biggest fans. But when it comes to discussing the ins and outs of what I actually do, then no. Do you ever get any criticism for being a sex worker and having children? Oh, God, yes, all the time. <laughs> when I go into debate, it's the one way that they think they will get under my skin is to criticise my parenting. And actually, they're completely barking up the wrong tree because in some ways I have given birth to a monster because she's very much a chip off the old block. She's not long back from the Donald Trump rally and she comes out with me regularly on marches for pro-choice for equal marriage. She identifies as feminist and is constantly organising revolutions in her school. So she's one of the most well-adjusted cheeky teenagers you never meet. She sounds really kick-ass. Yeah. She is. (laughs) We have have fierce arguments. (laughs) So what's it like living with a taboo being a sex worker for you and your family whilst also being really open about it and advocating for decriminalisation? Certainly, initially, when I came out, there were some teething problems. I came out against my will, actually, many, many years ago in a small Highland town. But this time round, I made the decision to come out myself to... Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. For my advocacy, because I think what a lot of the abolitionist organisations rely on when they're campaigning is a lack of real sex work voices to counteract what they're claiming. And so I couldn't really contain myself any longer and I felt it necessary to come out and talk in real terms about what sex work is really like. So what are the the biggest misconceptions about sex workers? So the top one has to be that the vast majority of sex workers are trafficked. They're not, not at all. The figure is round about, we think, about 6%. That's based on, on several recent studies. Now, anybody listening to this podcast is going to say instantly, yes, but that's 6% too much. Absolutely. But what you have to remember is that trafficking is already an offence. Rape is already already an offence, sex with a minor is already an offence, so is kidnap or any of the activities that you can think about that would be around coercing a woman into sex work. So the Nordic model or the abolitionist sex buyers law that the abolitionists are pushing right now does nothing to tackle trafficking actually as much as it says it does. All it does is hit consenting adults and I am firmly of the belief that when two consenting adults come to have sex behind closed doors, whether or not money changes hands, the state has no right to intervene, none. And the only time the state should intervene is when there's harm, and we can debate the the definition of harm all day. Another misconception is that over 50% of sex workers enter the trade when underage, also not true, and it's been debunked, I don't know how many times. Actually, the mean entry is 23. So you get these things bandied around all the time, like, yes, but suffering, yes, but this, that, and the other. And I don't want people to think that I'm cold or callous or indifferent to that, that kind of suffering at all. I'm not, of course. Nobody in the trade or any right-thinking person wants to see a woman suffer in the sex trade. But this Nordic model, this making it illegal for a man to pay, is not the way to help these people. What we find in Northern Ireland now is that in spite of the law, we have managed to build quite a good relationship with the police service of Northern Ireland. And we're exchanging data backwards and forwards now, trying to um, help women that it's come to my attention that might be working, you know, against their will or under coercion or whatnot. And I will very, very happily go forward and report that on a third party basis. Now, if you have a regime whereby the police are implementing the Nordic model to the letter of the law and they're arresting clients right, left and centre, I'm not going to have clients going forward to the police and reporting those girls or even coming to tell me about because essentially they're admitting to a crime. You mentioned that your clients can be all kinds of genders or even couples. And then a couple of times you mentioned sex workers as being women. Are sex Mm. workers always women? No, sex work community is made up of a very diverse bunch of people. So you've got obviously women, uh, you've got men as well to a lesser extent, but you've also got a large trans community because people in the trans community find it difficult to obtain employment elsewhere. Sometimes, not always. And I will say that my knowledge around trans issues is very, very limited, but I am learning. But I have come across a lot of trans folk in the sex work community as well. But the trouble is, is that when you enter into debates on sex work, and certainly when you hear abolitionists speaking about sex work, it's always gender specific and they always focus on women because nobody cares about wanting to rescue a man from selling his body. I wanted to ask how you're advocating for decriminalisation. Mm. How do you know that other sex workers agree with you? 
Well, for several reasons. Firstly, when Rhoda Grant tried to introduce the Nordic model in Scotland, I went out on a hard, hard on the campaign trail. I was out, I went, I visited every sauna in Edinburgh. I contacted a lot of the ladies that were listed on adult work and advertising in the Sunday sport. And I also went out and spoke to a lot of women working on the street as well. And I asked them basically, in your current state, and in some cases that they were highly distressing states, let me tell you, how do you think making it illegal for a man to pay you would help you? And the answer was always the same. It was like, are you nuts? Are you mm. actually nuts? What I need to be able to do is to work in a far safer environment. And the other reason that I, I know that the vast majority of sex workers favour decriminalisation is because, firstly, I worked in Dublin prior to 1993 when it was decriminalised. And I witnessed firsthand the devastation that further criminalisation brought in. And I remember the amazing relationship that we had with the Irish police until their priorities changed and they switched from looking after us to chasing down clients. But the other thing is, is that sex worker-led organisations around the world now, no matter where you look, whether it's Africa, India, Canada, the US, every single one of them are calling for decriminalisation. And decriminalisation has also been recommended by the World Health Organisation, UNAID, The Lancet, and more recently Amnesty International as being a human rights-based approach to sex work. I feel like when... Um people talk about kind of the legislation affecting sex workers it tends to just be like old white Tory MPs that's a massive generalization um (laughs) talking about it but why do why do people never ask what do sex workers want because they don't like the answer it doesn't fit in with their agenda first of all let's talk about politicians when politicians are campaigning for abolition they know it's a vote winner and they know if they spin the usual lines out about trafficking and about rescuing these poor fallen women and about offering them a way out of the industry yada 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 that so many people will jump up and say bravo good for you here's my vote so sex workers rights is not a vote winner unfortunately mm. it's not something that, that many people on the doorstep will go well good for you yes I'm fully in favour of that because they're not fully informed of the facts when it comes to abolitionists themselves well the abolitionist sector is run by a very tight NGO circle particularly in Ireland and there is a lot of money that it's thrown into those organisations, like a hell of a lot. For example, Ruhama in Dublin, they're one of the main anti-sex work organisations in Ireland, who interestingly are formed from the Magdalen sisters who used to run the Magdalen laundries, which is really lovely. But they get a minimum €300,000 from the government per annum. That's before any of the private donations or fundraising events that they do constantly throughout the year, and not taking into account that the vast majority of their workers who actually do outreach work on street and classes etc for sex workers are all actually volunteers which begs the question well who's making the money then and the answer is the NGOs so it pays them to push these lies out in the vast majority of cases they know what they're saying is not true so for example in Dublin you've got Ruhama saying oh we're campaigning we don't want the women on the street criminalised anymore for selling sex but well, that's rubbish because actually under the what they've done is they've decriminalised under the sexual offences absolutely but they've recriminalised very sneakily under an old section of the Public Order Act well, actually, now the penalties for working on the street have doubled. What strikes me about the, the comment about the politicians and it being an election winner is that mm. it can also be such a scandal if a politician has been seen or found to have used a sex worker at some point. Used yeah. a sex worker. That's not a polite thing to say, is it? Used the services uh, yeah. of a sex worker? How should I say it? Uh, I don't know. Spent time? <laughs> visited? No. Okay. Yeah, visited okay. I remember a huge scandal not too long ago, and I can't remember which politician it was, but for having seen a sex worker of some kind. Surely now it would be more of a scandal if you found a politician who hasn't seen a sex worker. Yeah. Why do you think it's such a taboo topic? Is it as existential as women generally owning their sexuality and even potentially maybe enjoying sex or or making money from it or making money from it yeah or is it because sex is an intimate thing and people don't like the idea of people I don't know monetizing that or is it something completely different well I mean I don't know we live in a society which now encourages a great deal of sexual freedom in women and that's to be applauded we've come a long way I think and that's not taking into consideration for one minute radical feminists who I think would, would rather roast men at stake than ever admit that they would you know enjoy sex with a man but what I suppose perplexes me in a way is that you can you know have all the sex you want in the world but as soon as money changes hands it's demonised and that comes to the core of most debates I think on the subject in that you know about our 
can you really consent if you're being paid? And my answer to that is always yes, of course you can. Because as much as we campaign for the right to say yes, we also absolutely reserve the right to say no. And just because somebody has paid me, it does not give them carte blanche to do whatever they wish with me, not not at all. And more than once they have been shown the door in a very unladylike fashion. What things do you do to safeguard yourself, other than the website that you use to book clients? Well, I'm very clear on my boundaries. I think that's very important from the get-go. And I make my boundaries abundantly plain to prospective clients so that they understand if they transgress those boundaries that the appointment is over and they're leaving. I suppose it's probably to my benefit that I have a reputation as being somewhat sassy as well. But Mm -hmm. I think one of the the benefits of sex trade moving on to the internet has been the ability of sex workers now to report dangerous clients as well. And I think clients are very much aware of that, that we don't hold back anymore and we will report even clients that waste time can be reported now. So clients that make appointments and don't bother showing up, right right through to clients that are downright dangerous. So in as much as it's increased our safety, I think, twofold. One, that we can communicate with each other as sex workers and exchange warnings. And two, that the clients know that we have several methods now in which we can report any untoward behaviour. And so it's in their best interest to behave themselves, really. Is there any difference between what's happening in Ireland and where you are now in Scotland? I think Ireland is unfortunately about 20 years behind of us in terms of attitudes towards morality and sex. Certainly if you look at things like, I mean, we only got equal marriage in the Republic last year. You still can't have an abortion north or south of the border in Ireland. And sex workers' rights are so far behind, it's unbelievable as well. But we will get there. There is a younger progressive society coming through now. Society formed very much on on feminism and equality and we will get there but it's very frustrating because it's so much easier for me to be an out and vocal sex worker in Scotland than it would be say for example in Dublin. Is this because Ireland is so rooted traditionally in Catholicism and Christianity? Yes there you find the ingrained hatred that I spoke of earlier that there's just no getting past there's no reasoning with people like that so for example I can recall walking through a busy shopping centre with my daughter in the buggy at the time she she was only a baby and some man and his wife walked past and I heard him quite clearly say oh I didn't know they do hookers here now is it two for the price of one and you get that sort of thing all the time in Ireland and and I'm not sure how I I suppose I probably would call them out on it but I'd be far more forward in calling anybody out on that here So we've established that you're a extremely feisty sassy woman Uh but have you ever been in situations where you've feared for your well-being at all because of the sex work? Absolutely. I had a client come and see me in Glasgow there quite a number of years ago and he was very kind of agitated on the phone, which I put down to nerve. When he got into the apartment, it was clear that he was very, very unstable and had some severe mental health issues going on. We tried to conduct a session which wasn't going anywhere because he couldn't perform, which of course was my fault. And we then reached the point where he accused me of going into the kitchen to get a knife. So I started to really, really panic, but I knew I had to keep the head and I knew I was alone as well. So my sole primary purpose at that point was just to get him out of the Mm. apartment. And I did. I just used every soothing technique I possibly could. I gave him back all his money, told him, of course, I'd be delighted to see him the following week. And I got him the hell out of there. So the reason you mentioned that when the, the Scotland incident, you were alone, is that because of brothel laws that you were working alone? Yes, because right. I have never been arrested in my life and I don't intend to start now to throw years of study down the drain. Mm-hmm. And so I work within the law and the law as it is at the moment, unfortunately. So that could have been a very different story. Absolutely. Know? I mightn't be sitting here talking to you today. Yeah, and that's, a, that's scary. Wow. Did you also mention that you were Catholic? Well, by birth. By yes, birth. But not, not anymore now. More of a Christian these days, which really hacks people off when I say it in interviews, so I go out of my way to do it every time. So are you a practising Christian? Well, I try and live my life by the rules that I've picked up along the way, which are simply treat others as you would like to be treated yourself, dignity and respect at all times, and my very favourite one, love one another as I have loved you. Do you ever get people who challenge your Christianity or your faith because it so actively rebels against what is traditionally Christian? Yes, I do all the time. Right down to people who say you can't pray, you you can't possibly pray. I'm like, and why not? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, because well because you're a prostitute. And I think you'll find that you know when Jesus went into the temple, it was the moneylenders he threw out, not the courtesans. Mm-hmm. And quite right too. Look at the state of the country they've got it in now. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, do you have any kind of community that understands your work as a sex worker, but also either your sexual orientation or your faith? Is there any community that kind of understands all of those facets of who you are? Yeah. Well, obviously, I've got very very close friends that I would discuss 
things, for example, like my faith with. It's not something I would openly discuss on Twitter, for example. <laughs> but certainly in terms of community, I mean, we have a sex work community now, which is very vibrant on social media. There are a number of closed groups that I'm a member of, which are open to sex workers only, in which you can let off steam if you've had a bad client or if you've had a bad reaction within your family or just anything that's sex work related that's really getting on your nerves. Have you ever engaged in sex work and had a partner at the same time? Yeah, I have. Can you tell and, us a bit uh, about that? Yeah, well, you know, there are, I suppose, some people who are progressive enough to see that sex work at the end of the day is just my job and it doesn't define who I am. So when I come home and hop into the bath and hop into my jeans and pour a glass of wine and watch Netflix, I'm no different to somebody else who's come home from a 12-hour shift doing security work or whatever it happens to be. It doesn't define me. I mean, it used to amuse me no end when I used to have clients saying, when you go home, can you pass on a message, please, and tell your partner I said he's the luckiest man on earth. (laughs) My answer was always the same. It was like, well, he'll tell you if he was here that it's all he can to get me out of my onesie but okay I'll pass it on (laughs) (laughs) so it's no different I'm not like some sort of sex mad woman that devours my partner when I come in from work far from it so you have a very clear distinction between the sex work that you do is work very much so and that's not to say that you can't develop feelings towards your clients in terms of deep friendships because If you've been seeing somebody, in some cases with me, I've been seeing people for like seven, eight years now, you do develop a deep bond and a deep trust and a deep friendship, but that's as far as it goes. And that's the difference between being with somebody that you're in a relationship is because, well, because you love them and you you love them so much in some cases that you literally want to crawl inside them. But that's the big difference between being with a partner and being with somebody that you're being paid to be with. So you've been doing sex work since you were 19. Has the experience or has sex work changed as you've gotten older? Yes. A lot. So when I started out, oral without a condom was an absolute no-no. Nobody did it. Anal sex was a no-no. And as a matter of fact, kissing was very much off the menu as well. The girlfriend experience didn't really exist. So that's changed over time. And I suppose I've kind of changed, morphed myself a little bit over time with how those changes have come in. But what really terrifies me now is the new wave of women and men advertising bareback sex, which I find just terrifying. It's like Russian roulette, as far as I'm concerned, and never, ever worth. And that's without any form of contraception. Yeah, you do see it advertised on various sites and it's not something I would ever, ever think of doing. There's only so much changing like I will do to accommodate changes in the industry but that's definitely a hard limit. So lastly how can we be allies to sex workers? If you can amplify sex workers voices as often and as loudly as you possibly can give them a platform allow them to speak and listen to what they have to say that is the best way that you can be an ally now. And is there anything that you're working on that you want to plug maybe your Twitter any projects anything that listeners if they want to get involved in more or help you or support you what can they do? Well on my Twitter feed there is a link to my fundraiser which will be coming up again in September so I raised initially £7,000 for the first tranche of legal fees in Northern Ireland and coming up in September there'll be another bill coming in for £8,000 so if anybody would like to help out and donate that would be absolutely amazing and thank you very much So that was Laura who is doing amazing things for activism in Ireland right now and up next is our next guest My name is Siobhan Nutt I am a queer feminist performance artist and I am the co-director of the Sex Workers Opera along with Alex Fletcher and Claire Quinn. Can you tell us a little bit about the Sex Workers Opera? So the Sex Workers Opera is a multimedia theatre show that has been created and directed and performed by sex workers and their friends. The general rule that we go about with the opera is saying that there are at least 50% sex workers, 50% friends of sex workers, um, and we never say who is or who isn't a sex worker, and that's to preserve the anonymity of everyone. It's a show that has been predominantly created and performed in London, but it also includes the stories from all over the world. We have over 50 stories sent in from 17 different countries at the moment, and it kind of involves music and singing and dancing and poetry and sad stories and happy stories and complex stories. It's basically a platform for sex workers to actually tell their own stories and write their own narrative because so often we see sex workers being spoken for in the media, especially in opera. So this is kind of like a fun way of letting people know what sex workers are actually going through, what the experience of being a sex worker is. So that sounds amazing. The things that you're performing are real stories. 
Yes, definitely. It's almost like a sort of tapestry of experiences and it's tied together by one central narrative that keeps coming back. The only story that we revisit is the story of a mother and daughter and a mother finding out that her daughter is a sex worker and their relationship throughout both of their different types of feminism. So the mother is a second wave feminism who believes that sex work is inherently bad and them negotiating their relationship. But all of the stories, including that one, are real stories. Some of them are people's own stories and sometimes they're telling stories that have been sent in from across the world or maybe they're telling their best friend's story. Well, this sounds like probably one of the most kick-ass pieces of theatre <laughs> I've heard about in a long time. So why an opera? So we chose opera because, well, first of all, opera has this really long history of misrepresenting sex workers. I mean, all art does have this history of misrepresenting sex workers but opera is one of the, one of the key pieces I mean it seems like it's very rare to find a piece of opera that actually doesn't talk about sex work in some way and mm. they're all written by rich old white dudes regardless of how well they try and portray the characters generally often they're very one dimensional they die at the end to serve as a moral story for us all and I think what we really wanted to do is try and like use one of the most ancient forms of and one of the most elitist forms of art to try and combine with, I guess, you know, as people say, one of the oldest professions, tying it all together, sex workers reclaiming the stage. It makes people stop and look. That is, it's very true, because even though they, they are very much tied together, people don't often associate them with each other. Like, people always double-take a little bit when they see the words sex worker and opera together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, the, but the fact that you just explained all of that, it's like a no-brainer. It's yeah. like, well, duh, <laughs> like, of course that makes sense. Like, when you were saying that, I was getting so riled up and passionate. <laughs> fist pumping like, the air <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting so h- how long have you guys been going for then so it's been two years we started in um 2014 we spent a long time sort of like talking to sex worker groups asking them to do call works on their networks going to sex worker events and putting our effort into showing the sex worker groups that we supported their cause and then we just did a call out and a bunch of people arrived because it's london and because we knew as well it's sex workers and it's freelancers and it's london and not everyone can afford to give up their time to work for free which is what everyone was doing it voluntarily at the beginning so we knew that it would be very difficult to get people together so it was quite a lot to ask people to arrive and do like a couple of weeks of rehearsal and training and etc etc which is what most theatre companies are used to doing so instead we said okay let's get together for three days of workshop and then we'll just do a show for two days so it was essentially we met we everyone got together and met on the Monday we did theatre workshops and essentially we all communally wrote an opera and then we performed on the third day which no one really understands when we tell them how we did this. I think it's a beautiful case of everyone working communally together, the trust exercises that we put into the very first day of workshops and also just sex workers having an amazing knack for improvisation. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking on their feet, I bet. (laughs) Exactly. Amazing. Wow, what a journey. So the thing that you're still performing today is the thing that was created in three days? Yes. So basically, we created it in three days, but we have expanded it since. So we we had that one big burst of creativity where we created, I'd say, a show that was around an hour and a bit, maybe. Um, And then we managed to add in a few more elements. And so now the show is around two and a half hours. So each time we've added new bits or added new stories. It is ever-changing, but it remains the same at its core, basically. So speaking of nuanced arguments, do you talk politics? Are you all for decriminalisation, for example? I mean, it's very hard to not talk politics with with something that is so politically charged as sex work and something that is very much based on the personal is political. I mean, we never wanted to market ourselves as having an agenda as a sex work opera because our main focus was community theatre, our main focus was... Um, people telling the stories and being represented how they wanted to be represented. So, for example, if we had an overwhelming um, number of stories sent in or a bunch of people in our community group or an extreme push for people to talk about how actually they wanted legalisation over decriminalisation or actually they wanted um, the Nordic model or whatever, then that it would be our responsibility to represent those stories. Um, fundamentally, we definitely have received none of those <laughs> stories, and a lot of our, like, I mean, everyone who we've spoken to, and everyone who has fit in stories, and everyone who is uh, part of the group is is pro decriminalisation. We are definitely a very political show because our members want to be seen as very political. 
they want their stories to be heard and their stories are like what the sex workers opera does is it's aiming to humanize people destigmatize and change people's hearts and minds um so maybe people who would come and see the sex workers opera wouldn't be the same sort of people who would come to a political rally or wouldn't be to the same the same sort of people who would come to a workshop or a film screening about sex work politics but maybe they'd come and see the opera because it sounds fun or it sounds titillating exciting or just like interesting um and they'll come but you can't really leave our show not having quite a hard-hit political message because these are real issues that affect people and and the way that sex work is misrepresented and viewed as objects and denied human rights and denied the right to speak for themselves really plays into how, how laws are made, how people treat sex workers, how people think that it's okay to be violent towards sex workers because they view them as less than human. So the general current that is running through our show is this is dangerous, this is real. What sex workers are going through is, you know, sometimes there's fun and awesome and funny and beautiful elements of the job, but it is dangerous because of how people view it. So Yes, it's it's a deeply political show, um, but it's also fun. <laughs> so how does Sex Workers Opera tackle diversity? Because one thing that we found from doing this podcast is that trans people and people of colour tend to disproportionately become sex workers. Are these stories represented in Sex Workers Opera? Well, I mean, our cast itself is like a very diverse cast. We have uh, transgender people of colour, uh, genderqueer people, and also the stories that have been sent in are from a huge range of different people. Some people talk about their identity very openly in their stories. Some people don't. Um, well, all our stories are anonymized. Um, but I think it does come from quite a broad range. One thing that was really important to us with the Global Story Callout is Skyping um, sex work organizations to do things like go out and ask some of the people who use their services to record st- audio stories for us. Um, so we have some... Uh, Dominican migrant uh, street workers from Chile who have recorded audio stories um, in their own language that are played as a sort of soundscape part of the show and we have translations as well we also like paid them for that time oh, because we believe fucking that brilliant. <laughs> I'm not even kidding that just gave me goosebumps like that sounded so amazing oh, you know, thank you. that you're going I to mean, all that effort to make sure you know representation and diverse you know that's just so important if you want to talk about something that is so far-reaching there's so many different types of sex work and so many different types of people who do sex work and inevitably with all of these things when uh when the shit hits the fan as you told me i can swear (laughs) and these horrible regulations and laws come in and criminalization comes in and uh, or backdoor criminalization in the form of criminalization of clients like the Nordic model or whatever, the people who suffer the worst are always the more marginalized, always the people who maybe are undocumented or are working on the street. So important to try and include as much of that as possible so that people see there's not just um, two different types of sex working. You know, There's not just the sort of glamorous, high-class escort, whatever that means, versus the poor downtrodden victim you know um one of the stories that was sent in from a street worker in argentina she was uh, ended up saving her client's marriage by just giving him a lot of marriage advice in one of her <laughs> one of her sessions um and he just left being like you've, you've literally saved my marriage and it was so important for her to send in that story because people always viewed street workers as being a tragic example of sex work and she wanted to show her story and how she felt about it the job requires quite a lot of like emotional labor and companionship oh, yeah yeah oh my god yes i mean yes <laughs> so like and think about the amount of emo- emotional labor that traditionally women have had to do for a very long time now just on paid emotional labor like that's just something that is expected of of women anyway so it makes sense that that would take like such a huge part of the work of sex work as well as it is a fairly gendered work although obviously there are lots of different 
types of people who do sex work. But yeah, and in terms of, I think in terms of diversity as well, it's something that we're always working on. It's, it's something that we're always trying to be aware of and trying to be aware of who has the space to talk at this moment. Like, is it useful for this person to be talking right now about this, or should we try to prioritise people whose voices need to be heard more? Do you think sex workers' opera would work without the anonymity? Anonymity. Um. It would work in the sense that, like, it would still be a good show. And uh, ultimately, that's what people want. Our rule is that we never say if someone... So no one will ever come out as an ally. and No one will ever say, I'm not a sex worker. Um, but if someone is happy being out and it doesn't compromise the rest of the group, then they can talk about being out. Um, but it's just something that I don't think we should ever be forcing people to do because fundamentally it is still very dangerous and the workers that we have who just being associated with the project they are risking a lot even if they're not on stage maybe say one year they would be okay with it but then their situation changed next year or something and they actually didn't want to be an out sex worker or they or they wanted to try uh, different work like that's what everyone wants everyone wants to know who it is and who isn't and people try and guess some people are good at guessing some people are bad at guessing <laughs> but I think that is partly what gives it its power though because it's it's really cool to have like people on stage being beautiful and vulnerable and open and sexy and honest and powerful and it's so nice to be like oh wow any any of them could be like that I think that really adds to this whole idea of this difference between a sex worker and just a normal human being it's like there isn't there isn't a difference so so you mentioned earlier that um, you've had some really great reception have you had any negative reception at all we've actually been really lucky in terms of like a lot of sex worker activist groups and political groups I think they deal on a daily basis with a lot more stress and aggression from uh, sex exclusionary radical feminists and people who are, who are just persecuting um, we haven't had to deal with that that much we got our first bad review yay <laughs> which was exciting because it was it was a really bad bad review like it was um, <laughs> people were like well, you can't fault the art. The art was magnificent, but, you know, everything they were saying was awful, um, which is usually kind of the opposite to what people say about us because some of our members, like, are sex workers and actors. Some of our members have never acted before and never sung before. Some of our members are just actors. So it's a, it's a complex mess. So usually people say, oh, it's a bit scrappy, but really, really honest and powerful, you know. How can we support you? I think the key thing for allies in supporting the sex worker movement and supporting sex workers opera is to do what you're doing right now, which is give platform, um, allow space, listen. Um, it's, it's very powerful to create a space for people to come and talk about their experiences and for it to be like a non-judgmental space where you're not automatically pinning them up against the anti-sex work person <laughs> so they don't have to defend themselves all the time. And as far as the opera goes, like we just need uh, people to talk about us and people to tweet about us and people to spread these stories. We're doing, we'll are doing. we be doing another story call out um, this spring. That would be the ideal time, would be this spring doing another show. How can people get in contact or, yeah, get in contact with you, find you on Twitter or anything? Yeah, we are at Sex Workers Opera on Twitter and we are sexworkersopera.com <laughs> as our website. Um, and there you'll find all the contact details, emails and stuff if you want to send your story in or if you want to write about us. Yeah, I think we're quite easy to find as Sex Workers Opera. There, are, there aren't that many. No, <laughs> I can't imagine so. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so is there anything that you quickly want to plug, like any upcoming performances or anything? Alex uh, and I, who Alex is the other co-director along with Sarah Quinn um, of Sex Workers Opera, uh, we're doing our um, theatre company experimental experience. We are doing cabaret shows and a week of performances in Edinburgh at the moment all of this month. So if anyone's interested in some sort of immersive uh, performance art installation, street theatre things, then log into experimentalexperience.com. Ah, wonderful. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of Kicking the Karaoke All About Sex Work. We've been going for four months, Sid. We're going, <laughs> we're going strong. Oh my gosh, we are doing so well. Don't you think so, listeners? Oh.
let us know how great we are or if you think we could do some improving we'd love to hear from you absolutely so remember you can get in contact with us you can suggest the topic or you can suggest a guest or someone who would be a kick-ass guest yeah or call us in hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.